0: Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. For more than 2,000 years, he's been doing all that he promised. Today, his church remains an assembly of his saints, providing a place for worship, fellowship, and instruction. In a world that often feels isolated and alone, church remains a place to connect. It's a place to call home. We're so glad you've chosen to connect with the family of believers at Campus Church in the Crown Center at Pensacola Christian College, as together we rejoice in the Lord.
1: Take your Bible, if you would, and join me today in Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter number 7. While you're turning, let me ask you a question that is one of those rather rhetorical questions I suspect that most in here have been asked this question, um, but not always with the same results. The question is oftentimes asked around Christmas or sometimes birthdays, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? Hey, what do you want? Okay, so most of us, I'm going to assume, have been asked the question, Let me ask this, how many of you have always gotten what you asked for for Christmas? If you raise your hand, everybody's going to be a little frustrated with you. I suspect that most people when asked the question, hey, what do you want? And they offer something. Now, Now, sometimes have you ever gotten what you asked for? Like, oh man, if you could only have, and it was the thing maybe as a child you wanted or something more recent that you said, listen, the only thing I really want is, and, and it was wrapped under the tree. But have you always gotten everything you asked for, for Christmas or for a birthday or for some other special occasion? You know, it's interesting that when you start to consider when God makes what we consider to be these promises, ask and it shall be given unto you, we start to wonder, can I really take God at his word? If God is going to ask me what I want and then I ask and I don't receive what I asked for, Can I really have confidence that when I ask something of God, God is seriously asking me, what do I want? Go ahead and ask. The title of our message today is simply this, Not What I Asked For. Now to provide us with some context for the passage that we're about to look at you should know that it comes toward the close of a very powerful sermon preached by Jesus Christ. We often refer to this as the Sermon on the Mount. If you have a red letter edition of the scriptures, then, then you'd notice that chapter five, six, seven, this is all red. This is because this is an extended passage of scripture where Jesus is teaching what we would even consider today to be revolutionary truths. And in this sermon, Jesus is detailing some profoundly beautiful, yet shockingly challenging principles of the Christian life. And the listeners may have been tempted to think nobody can live this way have you ever had those thoughts about the Christian life? Like, okay, I I know the Christian life, but nobody can really live the Christian life. I mean, who can do that? And you know what Jesus is about to make possible for any person who truly claims the name of Christ. He's saying there is a way to live like the sermon that I have been preaching. And if you'll ask, please know I am ready and willing to respond. And also remember, God's truths are timeless truths. They're true for all people, all places and all times. Just as true for and as necessary for each of us at every age and stage of our lives as they were when Jesus first offered these. And what God expected of our forefathers God also expects for us today in our generation. So in our text today, Jesus is about to provide what we might call some relief to this new way of living. He gives us hope for how to live. And he is saying, yes, there is a higher way of living that Christianity calls us to, but you don't have to provide the resources necessary to live it. God says, I've already provided everything for you. All you have to do is ask. Unless you argue, I've asked God before and he never gives me what I wanted. Then let's begin with these foundational thoughts. Okay, first of all, let's understand that God is good always and only. Okay, let's begin with this foundational thought. And if you start from another place, you're going to start from a faulty foundation and you're going to come to spurious, problematic conclusions. So the first thing that we have to establish in our thinking about God, God, I know who you are. You are good always and only. And then the second thing we understand foundationally is God is always up to something good. Okay, so if God is always good, always and only, that means that what God is up to is something good. Okay, um, how many of you have children? Okay, how many of you have children? So you're thinking in your mind, I have kids. How many of you know that look on their face when you walk in and they look up at you? And as soon as they look at you, you know they're up to something and it's not good, all right? And it only takes a little simple look on their face. You just walk in like, hey, and they look up at you like, oh, and what are you doing? Nothing. And you know, oh, that is not true. Okay, so you know they're up to something. If you were able to look into the face of God at any given moment, do you know what look you would see on the face of God? That God is up to something and it's good. There are times when you catch someone and, and, and they're actually doing something that they wanted to surprise you with or, or, or it's just this little favor and you walk in and you say, what are you doing? And they just have this smile on their face and you know immediately they're up to something good. Okay, so foundationally, we know God is good always and only. And then we know God is always up to something good. And then again, foundationally, God is too good and too wise to always give us what we ask for. God is good always and only. God is always up to something good. And and because these are true about God, God is too good. He is too wise to always give us what we ask for. And again, if you're a parent, you, you get that already with your children. Mommy, I want. Daddy, can I have? And sometimes because of your goodness, oh, you desire to give, you desire to give good things, but because you are good, you have to say, No, I I can't give that to you. And God, in perfect fashion, is too good and too wise. To always give us what we ask for. So with these foundational thoughts, let's jump into our text that, again, helps us to understand that we may not always get what we ask for. The first thing we're going to see about our text today is is what we'll call an unreasonable interpretation. An unreasonable interpretation. Interpretation. Okay, now your Bibles are open to Matthew chapter seven. Let's start in verse number seven and read into verse number eight. Matthew chapter seven, beginning in verse number seven. Here, Jesus says, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh It shall be opened. Now, I'm going to submit that it is unreasonable for us to think that prayer is simply the blank check that God has given to us that we can ask anything we want and then God must give it. And sadly, of course, there are some today who teach this erroneous doctrine And they do so because they are, in in many ways, twisting the scriptures. One pastor appropriately acknowledged it this way. He said the instruction in this text should not be lifted from its context and abused. All of us have heard this done. Some teach that all we have to do is ask for it with faith and persistence, and we will get it. So go for it. Name it and claim it. This view sees God as a celestial slot machine. Pull the handle enough times in prayer, be persistent, and you get what you want. Such thinking, he wrote, is entirely wrong. You say, well, why is that? Why, why is this wrong thinking or wrong teaching or a wrong interpretation of this passage of Scripture? Okay, well, let's ask the question, what are the ramifications of always getting what we think we want? Okay, have you ever had, you thought you wanted something and then when you got it, you realized it wasn't what you wanted after all? What are the ramifications? If God always gives us what we want or what we think we want, What does that mean? Well, the first thing that it means is it would displace God. Do you understand what happens if God is always giving us what we think we want? It actually displaces God from, in a sense, being God. Listen, if you can boss God around, then who is God? If you can tell God, God, you are, I've asked enough times and I have asked in faith believing, you have to do this. Who then becomes God? Do you know one of the ramifications of if God is always going to do, he, we write the check and God is duty bound to cash it. What does that mean? It would mean that we should be praying prayers like my kingdom come, my will be done for mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. These are pretty significant ramifications if God is duty bound to do whatever I ask him to do. What are the ramifications? Well, it would displace God. Secondly, it would diminish your trust. It would diminish your trust. There are passages of scripture that we can almost quote without thinking about it, such as is the case with Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is. Now, congregation, let's say the next word. But without faith, it is what? Impossible. Impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him without faith, without saying, God, I may not understand all that I'm asking for. I may not understand all the ramifications of what I think I want, but if I don't trust you, it is impossible for me to please you. What are the ramifications? It would displace God. It would diminish our trust. What kind of steps are the ones that please God? Again, they are faith steps. If you always know what to ask for, What need do you and I have of God? Where is our faith in his goodness? And what happens to our confidence in his goodness if he doesn't give us what we've asked for? When we come to God by faith, we are trusting that God is truly good and that he is both the reward and the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Okay, what are the ramifications? It would displace God, it would diminish our trust, and then it would derail God's plan. It would derail his plan. The way we might best interpret this passage is ask and trust that God will give you what he knows is best. Our passage today comes after one of the great guiding principles, not just of prayer, but of our entire lives. It's found toward the end of the previous chapter in Matthew 6, verse number 33. But seek ye first. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the lesser things, the the, the things that are not the primary things and all these lesser things, they'll be added unto you. God's going to take care of you. So what am I seeking first? God, your kingdom, your plans, your glory, your way. Lord, I'm trusting in your knowledge, your insight, your perfections, your power, What are the ramifications of God always being, in a sense, duty-bound to do whatever I ask? It displaces him. It diminishes our trust. And in essence, it would derail God's plan. This is our lifelong pursuit to magnify and seek first the kingdom. It's to be our primary pursuit. Remember, asking with both the will of God and his kingdom in view means that our plan is always gonna be subservient to his. Anything less than this is asking incorrectly. Okay, James is the one who, who summarized this. He said, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Okay, again, the first thing that we see is that God is not to be looked upon as our genie in the bottle, that is bound to give us whatever we want, that is first an unreasonable interpretation. Okay, but let's go a little bit further through this passage. And the second thing we see is an understood illustration. We see not only this unreasonable interpretation, but now we start to see, oh, wow, this is an understood, I get it, illustration that Jesus inserts into his sermon and you see people in the congregation to whom Jesus is preaching. You see people start to nod and they're like, oh, yeah, I get that, that makes complete sense. Look in verse number nine. Or what man is there of you? Whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Do you know essentially what we're being asked to confront is this? Will you and I hold ourselves to a higher standard of goodness than God? That's really what he's, he's saying. You say, well, listen, I had a father who was very bad. L- listen, I know there are people who have marred the image of God. But you know what he's doing? He's drawing on some common understanding. Shouldn't a father, if his son asks, hey, dad, I'm hungry, may I have some bread? And the father says, of course, is that dad who is, is not perfect, but that father who is loving and he cares for his child, is that father going to give him a stone and strive to deceive the child, say, bite into this? Is, is that dad who says, hey, dad, can I have some fish? That dad says, sure. And he hands him a serpent. I mean, you and I get it. It's like, no, no, no dad's going to do that. And he says, okay, now listen, If you, as a human father, as a human parent, who you know struggle with imperfection, you struggle with sin, at times you just flat out do evil. If ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Think about how different the the gods made by men are than the true God of heaven you start to think about how they're illustrated, how we've created gods after our own likeness. Greek mythology tells of one of those man-made gods. Her name was Aurora, the goddess of the dawn, and she fell in love with Tithonus, and Tithonus was a mortal. So she goes to Zeus, and and Zeus says, I'm going to grant you anything that you request, and and so Aurora asks for eternal life for Typhonus, and Zeus grants it. But she forgot to ask eternal youth for Typhonus, And so Tithonus now has the, the incredible burden of eternal life while continually aging. And such are the ways, the capricious ways of man-made gods. Is that the way your God is? Like, oh, I better be careful to, to have everything exactly right. Have you ever even gone to God and say, oh, I, I bet I forgot to ask God this. And oh, I better include this because if God only gives me what I ask. Listen, if you being evil know how to discern the request of your child and you can say, I, I know what he's asking. I'm gonna grant something good. How much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give that which is good to those who ask him? You know, at times when a person we know acts in a way that's inconsistent with their character, what we know about them, we even say something like, wow, that's completely out of character for them. But God is always the same. God is never out of character. He's the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be forever the, the Bible says in John, 1 John Chapter 1, verse 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. There's no dark side of the character of God. And we know from James Chapter 1, verse number 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from whom? From the father of God lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We don't come to him and say, is now a good time to talk to God? Listen, any time is a good time to talk to God. The father of lights, there's no darkness in him whatsoever and no variableness, no shadow, no inkling, no minute aspect of turning. And again, what Jesus is teaching here is that if our earthly parents know how to be kind and they attempt that which is good, how much more should we be able to trust that God is always up to something good? I'm curious about this, so. I just would love to know. How many of you do like gift exchanges where, where everybody brings a gift and then you draw a number or something and then you get to pick a gift? And how many of you do something like that? Raise your hands. Okay, lots, several of you do. How many of you try to figure out whose gift is what before you choose? Because you know like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanna try to get so-and-so's gift. Do you ever do that? Listen, you're working the system and it's sin, okay? So... Stop doing that. So so what we're doing is we're saying, okay, I got to figure out who brought, you know, whatever so-and-so brought, I want to get that gift. And why are you doing that? You might not know what the gift is. You just know about the giver. And if you know the giver, you know already something about the gift. And really what we're starting to understand when Jesus is walking us through this passage is he says, you may not know the predetermined gift, but if you know the giver, you know what kind of gift he's going to give. This is what he's helping us understand. And he gives us what we would say is this understood illustration. This is the case that Jesus is building upon in his sermon. God gives good gifts. And, and I might add, even if it's not exactly what you asked for. And then that takes us to another aspect of this sermon. We not only see an unreasonable interpretation and an understood illustration, but now Jesus takes us to an unparalleled invitation. An unparalleled Invitation. Listen, church. There has never been an invitation made like this from Almighty God to mankind, such as we have offered here in the pages of Scripture. Notice it again. Again, Matthew chapter seven, beginning in verse number seven. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock. And it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Why, if we pause and just think, like, okay, God, why are you asking this question? Why, why are you doing this? Why would God allow such a, a lavish invitation? To ask and to seek and to knock and, and and he does this all throughout scripture why does he do this and I would submit to you in very simple terms because it is part of God's nature to give it is part of the nature of God that he just wants to give now you know people like this right We even ascribe this little little expression, this description. Oh, listen, they are such giving people. You know, there are people in here that you actually find some pleasure in an opportunity to meet the need of another person. You look for opportunities to give and you take pleasure in it. You find out about a need and then you meet that need. And some of you do so in ways that are very hidden to others. Other people might not know about it. You you might do so anonymously in a hidden secret fashion, but you take such great pleasure in finding out what's a need that I can meet. And then you just start to pour out opportunity. Why? Because you're you're demonstrating something of your nature. You, You love to give. One of the most beloved passages of scripture, one of the most, the most known verses, maybe in all the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave, gave. And then we just start seeing God over and over and over and over. You just continually give. Give. This is an unparalleled invitation that God is saying ask because there's something in my nature that loves to meet your need. God in his very essence is a person who loves to give and put his goodness on full display. It's as if the asking puts something in motion in God. God is now invited to work and to display an essential part of his nature, his very character. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, he continues the idea. He says again, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. And notice this little expression. What a wonderful little expression, three words to circle in your Bible. How much more? If you... Okay, now listen, you're plagued with evil. We're plagued with selfish thoughts. We try to protect and hoard and keep. If you, though, even with all of those flaws, if you know how to give something that's good, how much more, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Has there ever been such an invitation made to mankind? What we're finding here is that God wants us to ask so that we can receive, to seek in order that we may find, to knock so that doors will be opened unto us. You start to think about this asking, it means that we need another to provide something that we can't provide for ourselves. Now there's something humbling about that. So if I have to come and ask, we even say, oh, I just, I feel bad about asking. And sometimes we say that, we we proceed our request with the statement, listen, I hate to ask you this, but but we're left sometimes with no other option, no other opportunity. I have to have this. I'm coming to you because I can't do this myself. And so we ask and God says, listen, I'm inviting you to come. So asking, I, I know I have to humble myself to just ask and the idea communicated here, it really begins back in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 3, when Jesus is referencing the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. What would the poor in spirit tend to do? You know, we don't, I suspect most of us wouldn't want to, to claim this as, as our position, to use it illustratively. But, but in our country, in fact, in countries around the world, there are those that beg for their existence They're asking. And you know, those poor in spirit, Lord, who who am I to think that I have all that I need to successfully navigate the challenges of this life? Who am I? And so God, my only recourse, the only thing I have left to do is come to you and say, God, I'm asking. And God says, oh, good. (laughs) There's something in my nature that wants to, that desires to respond. Asking, it just takes the posture of a beggar. And then he goes on, he starts to build, and these are increasing in intensity. He says, we start with asking, and then he says, this goes to seeking. This tells us that something's been lost or unknown, and it must be found, must be discovered. Do you remember the story in Luke chapter 15? There are a couple illustrations that we'll draw upon right now. The first was a lady who had lost a coin, And so what happens? She loses the coin. When she realizes, well, I lost something, this now changes her priorities. Her priorities are reorganized. And now all those things, listen, that day she was going to go shopping. I was going to do this. I was going to have coffee with a friend. Listen, all that's out the door now. Her priorities are reestablished because something was lost and I have to find it. How about the shepherd who has 100 sheep and he's got 99 in the fold. So there's 99 of them there. He counts them all, the the 98, 99. And now as soon as he realizes there's one that's lost, priorities, priorities completely shifted. And he goes out to seek that which is lost. And you know, we get the understanding here that there is something now that becomes a top priority. This isn't just like, oh, I hope I stumble upon that sheep that was lost. Maybe one day I'll just find the lost coin. Won't that be something? No, 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 no. It wasn't that is something's lost and I'm now on a new pursuit to find. This is the intensity that he draws upon. And then he says, not only asking or seeking, but now he takes us to this third level. And it seems like it's the most intense. And that is the knocking. It helps us understand that something's been closed off to us and we need access and entrance into something that so far has been denied. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells the story of the man who had a need and went to his neighbor late at night. His his neighbor's already in bed. The the whole family's in bed. and, And all of a sudden he starts hearing... I mean, how many of you, how many of you just like, oh man, I hate it when I am interrupted in the middle of the night, your phone goes off, you get some kind of a text message and you are in the middle of blissful sleep. We we taught our dog something um, when she was a puppy, Sadie knows. We have this little thing, we saw it somewhere and, and I thought, what a cool idea. And it's just this little, this little um It's a doorbell, is actually. It's this little little circle. And she just hits it with her nose, and that tells us she has to go outside. Let me tell you, when I hate to hear that doorbell go off. You already know when I hate to hear that doorbell go off. And sometimes she'll ring it, middle of the night, it's 1 o'clock, ding-dong. And I'm like, Sadie, go to, no, no, no. Ding-dong. Sadie, no. Ding-dong. Okay, I'm coming. And do you know what he's saying here? Start knocking. He, he's saying, all right, now there's some urgency about this. This door has been closed to you. The, the, the guy says to the man who's asking, he says, no, 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 go away. My, my, my wife, my children, we're in bed, we're asleep. Go away. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. I understand. I'm, okay, I, I'm asking, I need some food, hun. we need some food, okay. Uh, you better go find some. I, I'm seeking. Uh, I got to go find some food. And, and I, hey, my neighbor, boom, 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 boom. Now I'm knocking. There's this increasing intensity that leads us to, okay, listen, there's something coming for you. Now let me, let me insert, is every open door from God? You know, at times I think undiscerning believers say, well, God opened the door, so. So I just, you know, God opened the door. Listen, don't assume that every open door is from God. And don't assume that every closed door is a door that God doesn't want to open. So God's helping us here understand. All right, now ask, well, what if I don't get what I want? No, 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 you're you're trusting God, You, you know. Seek, rearrange my priorities. Knock, Lord, there's some urgency to this. All this to say, asking, seeking, and knocking are the means of receiving, finding, and opening. And remember, what kind of gifts does God give to his children? Because God is always and only good. He can only give that which is equal to himself. He can only give that which is good. Well, it's not what I asked for. No. It's better than what you ask for. And the invitation to ask is found repeatedly through Scripture. John chapter 14, verse 13, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John fifteen seven, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. John 16, 24, Hitherto ye have asked nothing in my name. Ask. And ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. 1 John 3:22, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Do you know how each of these wonderful promises begins? It begins with: ask our prayers to be true prayers, demand and ask. And in our text, it appears that there's an intensifying aspect to our asking. We ask, and because we've asked, we begin to seek. And as we are seeking, we start knocking. All the while, God is up to something good. With such an incredible invitation, what would keep us from asking? I suspect that maybe some don't really believe that prayer matters. We reason God's just going to do what he's going to do, So we don't pray because we don't believe anything will change how contrary this is to the teaching of Scripture. Maybe we fear that we haven't found the secret formula, that that we have to pray the magic words and we have to get the order of everything just right. Then God will have to grant the demands that we have laid before him. Or maybe we're just afraid that God may not give us what we're asking for giving us something else instead. So maybe it's better to just not ask at all. Campus church, God will provide an answer to your asking. He will provide finding for your seeking and he will open the right doors to your knocking. No, he will not always give you what you ask for. He's simply too good for that. But he does long to give. And the question is, are you asking For some, it may be the first time you've begun asking for something very specific. For others, it will be an ongoing seeking. And for some of you, you're going to simply continue to knock on a door. Let's take God at his word and trust that he will give us, even if it's not exactly what we ask for, good gifts to those who ask.
0: We're glad you joined us for Rejoice in the Lord as we've discovered answers to life's questions from God's Word. For a recording of today's message, Not What I Asked For, call, write, or go online. Include a gift of $7.50 for a CD or $15 for a DVD. Write us at Rejoice in the Lord, Pensacola, Florida 32523 or call 1 800. Two two three nine seven two seven. 9727 Messages are also available on iTunes when you search Rejoice TV or find us on YouTube by searching Rejoice in the Lord. Your financial support is vital to keep Rejoice on the air. Your tax-deductible gift enables this viewer-supported ministry to spread the gospel around the world, encouraging Christians and reaching people for Jesus. This is Rejoice in the Lord.